Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm going to be your host. Today, I got to interview Max L. Hag, the owner and founder of the Training Think Tank. Max is a unique dude. He is smart. He is confident. He's humble and he's progressive. This is a guy who is able to take something that everybody else sees, view it from a totally different perspective, and deliver it in a way that is effective and valuable and lasting, right? We broke down how to get better at wall balls on today's episode with Max. And I mean, the stuff he was dropping on getting better at wall balls is stuff that you haven't heard before. I promise you, the way that he talks about getting better at wall balls for competitive fitness athletes, CrossFit athletes, right? You haven't heard it. I hadn't heard it. Um, And it all makes so much sense. But in order to do it in a way that he wants people to do it, you have to be willing to do the hard thing, which is oftentimes doing less, working on the positions, working on the physiology of yourself, working on the way that you allow your anatomy to do what your anatomy is meant to do. We talked about in his company, Training Think Tank, which is growing rapidly. They have an 80-person waiting list for programming. Why he doesn't design the t-shirts, right? And the most profound thing that Max said on this episode is what he aims to do with all of the athletes that he works with is to be precise about the amount of stress that he puts on their body. And he asks you to be precise about the amount of stress that you put on your body. His rationale, your body can only take so much. If we put the right amount on every time, we can do it longer and we can do it better. I learn a lot every time I watch one of Max's videos on YouTube. That's why I wanted to have him on. If you guys are listening to this podcast in your car, awesome. Get ready to listen to it again at home with a pen and paper. This is one of those podcasts that you're going to get a ton of knowledge out of that you'll be able to listen to two or three times and that you're just never going to feel like you've gotten enough of. So I'm not going to keep you from it any longer. Here we go. All right. So today's guest on the Active Life podcast is Max Alhag. Correct, Max? A-L-H-A-G? E-L. It's actually E-L-H-A-G. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said that because I just got an email from John that was like, <laughs> by the way, note that you're spelling his name wrong in the emails. And I remembered the wrong one. Awesome. Yeah, no worries. It's been, uh, it's been like that since I was a child. That's what happens when you have an Egyptian father in the U.S. Okay, fair enough. I have a, I have a last name that, that should be pretty easy to pronounce, but people butchered that too. So if it makes you feel any better. Yeah, yeah it happens. Um, so Max, you started training think tank, right? You own training think tank. Yep. And for people who don't know exactly what training think tank is, would you go ahead and explain to them kind of your vision for this company? Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, the vision is probably a bigger discussion and I have a tendency to ramble than just what it does in its current form. So I'll try to go into like what it does in its current form. And then if you're interested in kind of like what we're building and stuff in the future, I can get into that after. I'm actually, Um, I'm actually more interested in what you want to build and then, and then, and then talking about 
you know, maybe yeah. why you are where you're at on your path to building that? Because we, we try right. to, we try yeah. to teach people that the process is their goal, right? That their goal shouldn't be the end game. It should be the process that they're going through. And it's clear oh, cool. that you're doing that. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So I think probably every single one of my like long-term vision things has stemmed from my own life experience and like what my athletic career and what my coaching career has up to this point served to me. And, uh, so basically it, it centers on three major, uh, I don't know, things, topics that I want my business to kind of serve in the market. So the first is kind of redefining what health is. And I think that kind of stemmed from just being around people that had like severe body image issues and seeing what the consequences of, uh, not training properly for sport can do to your body just from a neurological perspective in football, from all the brain trauma, from a mechanical perspective, from all the trauma in wrestling and from football and from previous injuries, from listening to uh, nutritional science experts and seeing, you know, if, if you actually take weight cutting and peaking to get your body really, really lean, what that can do for, to your hormones and I think in the own process of trying to figure out what I wanted my body to do athletically and what I wanted it to look like and what other people wanted it to look like and going down that route, I realized that health was this really, really complicated topic that included how people think, how they move, how they control their bodies in space, what they choose to do with their bodies and like what injuries at risk they want to expose themselves to and you know, in a competitive setting or just having fun playing recreational basketball or doing things like that. And I think trying to start that discussion and try to teach people how to train and mitigate injury risk and how to seek health in a more complex way is, is probably the pillar of what my organization or what I wanted to do just in the, in the public realm. Um, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Cut me off at any time. I have a tendency to ramble. That's okay. Your rambling is 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 the reason we reached out to you. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So, um, do you do you view health and fitness as different things? I view well. It's hard because for me to answer that question because I think I probably view fitness as something different than what the market views fitness is. Well, so do um, I. So that, that's what I'm interested in. Okay. So I, if you, if the, the common, I mean, I think the, a huge portion of my audience is, is CrossFit gyms, CrossFit gym owners or professional CrossFit athletes, just because of Travis and Noah and my experience coaching games athletes and just being in the CrossFit market and mentoring CrossFit gym owners and being in that space for so long. And I think um, the definition of fitness that Gra Glassman proposed in his original text, like um, fitness in a hundred words and what they teach in the level one is not necessarily how people are measuring it now because it's more quantifiable and it's turned more into the sports component of CrossFit. Um, I think the concepts of CrossFit version of fitness that are actually in their original documents is pretty damn spot on, but it's much harder to measure that. If you're talking about measuring coordination, accuracy, and all of these things, once you start putting measurable metrics on it, it gets harder and harder to 
it, it gets easier and easier to get lost in that being the definition of health. Um, so in the in the sport market, I think if you're measuring health or if you're measuring fitness and saying, okay, is Matt Frazier the fittest on earth? Yes, according to CrossFit's definition of fitness and what they're testing in the sport. But does that mean that Matt Frazier is the healthiest dude out there? I don't know. It really depends on your version of fit, of health. And I don't know him well enough to make any sort of a, you know, any sort of a qualitative judgment on that. So it's it's hard for me to to answer questions like that because the market generally tends to simplify things because it's easier to understand that way. So if I say, okay, well, this is what I think fitness is. It's a 5K row, being able to jump and being able to, you know, digest your food well and eat good quality food. It's like, okay, well, that's easy. It's easy to measure. It's easy to say that's healthy. But the more you kind of dig into the term, the harder and harder it gets to define these terms that are really broad. Well, so, and, and, that, and that's why I was interested in your opinion, right? Because for, for me, one of the things, what we do all day long, I'm not sure how, you, how much you know about what we do, but we basically take athletes who are either injured or injured subacutely, meaning they don't even know that they're injured. Right. Oh, okay. And and, and, yeah. and we find the low hanging fruit and we say, OK, listen, we don't write your CrossFit program. Right. I'm never going to write a program for an athlete as well as you are. Yeah. Um, or, or 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 frankly, anybody who is writing CrossFit programming all day, every day with a clue. Yeah. Um, but what we do is we look at that and we say, well, OK, why do you have that sticky end feel? Why can't you snap out your snatch? Why, with all this cueing, haven't you been able to change your position? Right. And that's the only part of the athlete that we attack. Yeah. So for us, we're biased. But I always question, is the person who wins the CrossFit Games the fittest person on earth? And I think that depends on the definition of fitness. But to me, if a woman's not getting her period, I don't think she's the fittest woman on earth. Right. If, if a guy is dealing with chronic pain in his low back, but he wins the games, I don't necessarily think he's the fittest guy on earth. Yeah, I, man, it's just it's so tough to me. I actually just did a um, with all the pec tear, tear stuff that was happening. I just did a, um, a discussion on kind of what I think health is. And I think that there do exist people that are aware of the downsides biologically of health and they're consciously making the decision to put themselves at risk in pursuit of whatever the title is knowing that at the end of the season they're going to put the time in to get their bodies back to a healthy baseline and i do that with my athletes every year so we go through like you know with travis you know every training year leading into the crossfit games is it's it's difficult. And it's not just difficult leading into the games. Like in the off season, we do, he calls it on ramp because I sit with him for hours and hours and hours on end and just do positional technical work with an empty barbell with his own body doing structural rehab work and just constantly working on making sure that his body's organized in space properly versus what happens when he starts to specialize and do thousands and thousands of squat contractions and, and uh, bar contractions and muscle ups and all this stuff. It starts to basically self-organize the system into a way that's not really quote unquote natural. So he has to go through that entire process of trying to set his body up for a competitive year. Then he start, has to start suffering again and starting doing all the metabolic training and start to practice competitions and 
fly to Dubai and fly to Miami and do Wadapalooza to, to get his mind into a competitive state again. Then it's a five-week open. And then we go to regionals, which is super, super stressful in terms of the level of competition that's there and the no reps and all of the stuff that happens. And this year, just the stress and the fear of tearing pecs. And, and then right after that's over, it's like, all right, now let's get ready for the game. So they go through this whole process, which is in some ways it's, it's masochistic. It's not like a, and I know we put athletes on a pedestal, but it's not like it's a fun process to constantly be pushing yourself as far as you possibly can go in the, in pursuit of, um, some end goal and then it's over and we got to kind of pick the pieces back up and try to restore health and process everything that happened. I try to go through that process with my athletes and make sure that they understand the risks to their health and try to make sure that they're constantly making that judgment call for themselves. Like, am I going too far in pursuit of what this end goal is? Or is this something I'm consciously willing to to, to do to myself because I really just want to find out who I am and what I'm made of. I think what the problem becomes, or at least from my perspective or what I'm trying to do in coaching, because I know I made this mistake myself as an athlete uh, in so many ways. I, I used my mind and my just sheer power of will to push my body to places that just really fucked me up. Like they weren't in the name of progress, but I was being coached to go harder and to, to push more weight and not to worry about some of the nuanced details of athletics. And if I was feeling something, if I was feeling run down, don't be a pussy, go harder. And so I conditioned myself to have this, this mind state that had no compassion. And I think that becomes the problem. It's that people aren't thinking about these things just in, in more of a rational way and starting to understand, like, what are the consequences of sport? I think if people just understand, hey, sport, you're going to put yourself at risk and you might not be healthy. Uh, so you need to just constantly be diligent with, you know, taking subjective markers of, of your health, getting blood work every once in a while, making sure your digestion is good, making sure your energy levels are good, making sure your sex drive is good, making sure you're not waking up every day and it takes you two hours to warm up your joints before they feel good. I think those in and of themselves are like, you don't need thousands and thousands of dollars uh, a month to stay on top of it. They're pretty just commonsensical things that are make life better. So I think if people just took that kind of approach, we wouldn't have some of the issues that we have. Um, and if they found people like you to make sure they take care of their structures and take care of some of the things that, you know, the specialist coaches generally don't take care of. Um, I think we wouldn't really be constantly having these discussions, but unfortunately I think just the nature of any market that's new is that it explodes so fast and, you know, people get into the, into the public eye pretty quickly. And, you know, if you're charismatic and you have the right things to say and you can get people to follow you sometimes, you know, that I don't want to say bad leadership, but because I don't know if I'm a good leader yet, we'll have to see in the future. Um, <laughs> but uh, that type of leadership can lead people down paths that they didn't really know that they were going to. Well, I think you said a lot right there. And I want to go back and kind of dive into some of what you were saying. Cool. Um, first of all, you're going to make me blush. Thank you. <laughs> right. But, um, but one of the things that I think makes CrossFit or fitness, the sport of fitness, right, in general, so yeah. different than a baseball player, a football player, a wrestler is that a baseball player, a football player, a wrestler uses CrossFit or uses fitness as a part of their methodology to be ready for their sport, right? So it's, there's a time and a place to go hard in the gym, 
but yeah. really it's, is my 40 time getting better? Did my bench press go up? Right. That that's, yeah. that's really what they're looking for. Is my cone drill faster? Can I breathe longer into my periods when I'm wrestling? Yeah. Um, a fitness athlete doesn't know what they need to be able to do because they don't know what everybody else can do in terms of their fitness or what's going to come out. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that one of the things that, that I try to talk to the athletes we work with a lot about that you touched on, I want to go back and hit it specifically is that it's not the tough athlete who goes the hardest, right? It's the tough athlete in my opinion, who is able to say, I shouldn't be going that hard today. Or this workout wasn't structured to leave me on my back. You know, where yeah. every, if, if you're in the gym working on what you were talking about in the on-ramp, which is what I want to dive into yeah. next, right? Yeah. If, if you're training an athlete in there and for three hours you're working on position and postural stamina and, you know, lining up the joints so that they're creating the best lever arms that you can, right? And you never go heavier than an empty barbell for two hours. And then next to you is another coach working with their athlete who performed as well as Travis last year at the CrossFit games, right? Or Noah at the CrossFit games last year. Yeah. And that athlete is doing Fran, take a 10 minute break, Helen, 10 minute break, you know, 400 meter sprints, 10 minute break. And they're doing all of this stuff where they're coming in exhausted all the time. Who worked harder? Yeah. That's a, that's something I've really been um, having a discussion with within my own community for a really long time. I, I have this uh, phrase, effort is a choice, that was on my shirts. And I think um, we used it as our tagline leading into regionals. And we, um, I think, are relaunching them. I'm not really sure. I don't do the apparel. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny what it ended up getting turned into because it, it turned into like effort is a choice oh my God, yeah, I fucking love to give effort. But what I was really getting across to people was that you have a choice to like put the effort into the details of your training and the effort into listening to your body and understanding when you need to refuel and rest and, and when you need to do all of the things that your mind is generally going to try to tell you that you shouldn't be doing. And every time I tell my athletes, hey, why don't you take the day off today? You're pretty run down. Or why don't you go do an active recovery swim day? Or, hey, why don't you do two or three hours of stretching today because you're so sore and you're so tight that you can't hit your positions. Therefore, your training intensity won't be high enough to get what we're looking for. It's actually those decisions that separate my best athletes from my best of the rest athletes, which is ironic because we think it's in the, in the hard stuff. We think it's in the suffering. But Everybody at that level can suffer to a pretty good extent. It's about how, how good their economy of movement is, how good their transitions are, how, how well they can display quality reps without getting no reps, um, how well they understand their own fatigue uh, like inputs so that they don't blow up in the middle of workouts, how well they manage their emotions from the start to finish of a competition. And you can hear these principles and, and things come out of the best athletes. I think Matt Frazier had a documentary and, and uh, he was talking about how much time he puts into a day in, into stretching and into the non-sexy stuff. And most people will just gloss over that and not listen to it. And I'm like, well, why aren't people talking about and doing this in their training when the guy who's the best in the world is telling you that he dedicates most of his time to taking care of his body so that he can do the intense work that allows him to be the best? 
but it just sucks. It's boring. People don't like it. I, ironically, it's one of my favorite things to do in training because I've, I've done so much suffering work and fucked my body up so bad that I'm like, eh, I'll do that like once or twice a week and I'm cool with that. Um, well, I, th- I, I, I think that the way that you're asking the athletes to do that, right? Somebody comes in and they're, they're ready to go, right? You know, yeah. Noah's going to walk in the gym. Trevor, uh, Travis is going to walk in the gym and tell you, I'm ready, man. Let's get after it today. You watch yeah. him start moving and you're like, dude, go stretch for two hours. Yeah. Right? Go hop in the water and swim around, whatever it is. But, but this is not the best thing for you today. I think that prepares them in a way for competition that maybe they're not even necessarily aware of, which is they had an expectation that something was going to go a certain way. And then they get there and their coach, the person who's going to ultimately make the decision for them says, sorry, man, not what you thought today. And they have to be able to to wrap their mind around the idea that, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, but there's a light for it, right? There's, there, there's something valuable coming out of that. And when you go to competition, I thought I was going to break out my muscle ups, 21, 15, nine, but I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, it. what I try to tell all of my athletes, and it's tough, right? Because almost all athletes are alpha personalities. They don't really like to be told what to do, especially the better and better they get because they don't have to listen to what other people do. They, they are pretty young and they get paid money to look a certain way and be a certain way and everybody looks up to them. And so it's really hard to just listen to other people um, because you don't, you're not practiced having to. Uh, so I tell them, look, I have to be the boss of training. And when it's time to compete, you're the boss. And uh, a lot of times when I go to a competition, I'm just there. I'm basically their fan at that point. But in training, I got to be the boss because I am going to be the only person that can look at them with some sort of objectivity to tell them, look, training's primary purpose is to set your body up so that when you compete, you can win. Because competitive people like to win. That's why they like competition. So if they're constantly competing and they're constantly dipping into that all the time, eventually their body is going to regress. You can't just play the game all the time to get better at the game. In any sport, you don't see golfers just constantly playing and never working on their swings and never working on putting. You don't see NFL football teams scrimmaging every single day of the week. You don't see triathletes running triathlons every single day of the week. But somehow it's turned into, hey, training for this sport is doing this sport all the time. But I, I think you're starting to see with like, you know, the 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 rise in popularity of people like Chris Hinshaw, who was a triathlete, who's writing percentage-based endurance efforts with the rise of organizations like yours that's doing for body work and body care work and the rise of Olympic lifting coaches who are giving percentage-based programs, the rise of gymnastics coaches that are giving positional-based gymnastics drills, you're starting to see that, oh, these people are training their bodies at sub-maximal intensities so that when they you know, rip it off and they go into their full animalistic mode and they let all of their adrenaline out and they go at absolute full speed – their bodies are prepared for dealing with those forces at end ranges and dealing with all of the acidity and, and byproduct of some of the lactate that comes in into that level of intensity. And so our goal with training is to prepare for those moments. And I think people forget that. They let the, the concepts of training and competition blend together. And I think it's a really big error for long-term development. I've seen so many really, really talented athletes that – they just look burnt out. They look like they, they don't even want to be there. Their bodies aren't healthy. They look like they're regressing from year to year. And then you see the people that are like 
staples at the CrossFit games that are going year after year, after year, after year. And they're all kind of doing, they're not doing the same thing, but they're doing, they're, they're operating on principles of like, you know, letting their bodies flux and, and understanding like, okay, when's time to be healthy and when's time not to listen to my body telling me that I'm hurting and that I'm tired and, and understanding when to do that, when to push and when to pull is either an athlete's job if they're coaching themselves or a coach's job because an athlete generally is not going to have the self-discipline and self-awareness to do that for themselves until they're, you know, five or 10 years into their training history. Yeah. I, I think even athletes who are five or 10 years into their training history are going to have a harder time being objective with themselves about that. Right. One of the, one, one, yeah, yeah, one, one of the hardest things that I try to do every day is instead of thinking about how I feel about something, it's thinking about what I'm thinking about, right? And, and then making a decision, making a decision of, okay, you feel badly about this because you're going down this tertiary path of where this could possibly end up. Why don't you just snap out of it and fix the problem, right? Yeah. But I think that when you're, when you're such a competitive athlete, that, that cognitive energy that you would have to spend to do that for yourself is, is high, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I, I think I've actually said that. In that's where video. I got it from. That's, oh, okay. that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's where I, I got the term cognitive energy from you yeah. and I've used it. <laughs> I've used it over and over again because you know, one of the athletes who we work with who I'm so impressed by is James Newberry. Oh yeah. Um, James Newberry flew out for the invitational last year and he came down for a few days from Toronto to New York to spend some time with us. And he's just such a stoic guy. Right. And we were talking about when are you going to get out to the games? And he's like, Oh, and he, he told me he's going to get out there like two and a half, three weeks before the games. And I was like, Oh wow. Really? And he said, yeah. Do you think that that's not soon enough? <laughs> like he, he immediately went to, do I need to prepare more? Yeah. As opposed yeah. to, you know, yeah, I know that's crazy. It's a lot of money and a lot of time to spend there, but he's, he's a professional and he's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to walk and run all of the trails that I can find so that when I get there, making a left turn is something that just happens. I don't have to think about it because he's like spending less energy in my brain will cause me to spend less energy in my body. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, that's, that's cognitive energy. I heard Max talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think any, uh, it's funny. Like I, I was a little bit insane in, in my own athletic career. My dad was in the Olympics for judo. And so we had a wrestling mat in my, um, in my garage. I remember being really young and just, you know, I was always a pretty big human being. I wrestled in high school at 215 and, but I wanted to move like a, I wanted to move like a lightweight wrestler and I wanted to shoot low singles and I wanted to shoot blast doubles and duck unders. And, and I would go into the gym and shoot thousands of, of reps in a week so that I could have my position, my footwork, where my toe was touching the mat. Absolutely perfect. And I would think about every single possible thing and how the other athlete could do. And I remember all of a sudden just having these moments of like, Oh my God, it clicked. I was in a match and I hit, hit a low single. And I was like, what the hell, where did that come from? And I think that process over time is what happens to all great athletes. And I never really became a great athlete. I was a a pretty good athlete. And now working with high level athletes at, at the biggest stage in the sport, you realize that they go through these epiphanies over and over and over to learn how to shut their minds off. So they, they basically automate these processes so they could access their like their fight or flight systems 
but do everything that they need to do that normal people have to think about. So normally, like if I'm doing, you know, thrusters and toes to bar and burpees, I'm like, okay, keep your spine tight because of all your old back injuries. Okay, breathe. Okay, your heart rate's a little too high. Calm down. You watch Travis to do it and you ask him after a workout. He's like, I blacked out. I have no idea what happened. And so it's really hard to even evaluate workouts retroactively with him if you don't have training footage because he's literally mindless in his training, which is fucking awesome. I wish I had that capability, but I think all, all preparation is really trying to get you to that point. Sure. And I, I think a lot of athletes even, they almost don't like having coaching because coaches sometimes make them think and they understand that thinking is so stressful. So they try to keep everything as simple as possible in their own head. What's up guys, Dr. Sean here. I just wanted to interrupt the show for a quick moment to remind you that if you're looking for more content from us than we give on this show, you can head to our website, performancecarerx.com. We have links to our YouTube channel, our one-on-one programming options, our Bulletproof programs, seminars, and even assessments and treatment in person linked right there at performancecarerx.com. You guys are amazing. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to this show. We appreciate you following us on social media at ActiveLifeRx. And I want to get you guys right back to this conversation because I know that's what you're really here for. So without further interruption, enjoy the show. Well, and I think that's why one of the things that um, I've always enjoyed at the CrossFit Games that I think a lot of other people have lamented in is when Dave Castro throws out something brand new that they've never seen before, right? Like when the pegboard comes out and everybody fails on it, it sucks to watch people fail. That's not a fun thing to watch, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, they couldn't do that mindlessly. And then, yeah. and then for me, what was more interesting wasn't that they couldn't do the pegboard. It was watching people melt down strategically thereafter yeah. because now they were overthinking everything. Yeah. Right? And they're going, they're using the, so the, the intensity that you can use, like in that example, like they're, they're using all the musculature that would be used in, in muscle ups, not exactly the same, but let's just say like, you know, sure, they're, relatively, they're using, a- yeah, relatively similar muscles that would probably have enough capillary density and all the stuff that's required to push in a workout. And they're using the intensity skills that they have on a pegboard that they have no exposure to thinking that the, there's a, there's a, like a translatable effect from the muscle ups. But it's different because you still have to coordinate and sequence the entire movement. So it's almost, almost requires if something comes out that the person has an ability to learn skills. And I think the learning of skills is a skill in and of itself. And it requires a certain mind state. And you could see that some people out there are just like, okay, I got to keep my heart rate really down, try to figure out like where to keep my arms, where to keep tension, where to keep tension in my abs, where to put my foot. And they can learn the skill on the fly, but it's because they're not rushing because they can't, because they haven't practiced it yet. Whereas the following year, when people have had an entire year to practice on the pegboard, you saw an entirely different level of intensity from the people that had practiced the skill because they've automated it and they can just be like, okay, well, I've done this over and over and over in training. I don't need to think about it. Mm -hmm. So I think if something comes out at the CrossFit Games, what I try to coach my athletes through in the year is I try to constantly expose them to like different types of standards that wouldn't normally be there, like pausing in, in weird places throughout a movement so that they have to consciously practice within a workout while they're going fast 
like how to stop in a certain place. Cause if you've done all of your thrusters at a certain cadence and all of your training, and then all of a sudden you get a judge that really, really, really wants to see your lockout and you got to slow down and think about giving a half second pause at the top and putting your, your head through that creates a pretty profound change in somebody that's not used to thinking about where they're moving at space when their heart rates at 200 beats a minute and their respiration rates so high. And so I think there is a way to kind of coach people's mind states into being prepared for something like the CrossFit games. But I think it'll be years of, we're going to need years and years and years of practice to kind of get it right. But I think I I agree with you. I, I think it's an interesting it's, it's hard to watch as a spectator, but as a coach, it's really interesting to watch because I can watch who succeeds and try to figure out why they succeed, what they're doing, what their posture looks like when they're trying to figure it out, and then try to emulate that with my own athletes so that they can get better. Sure. And I think that's that's huge, is, is, is the idea of being able to change on the fly, think while you're tired, and be effective. I don't think yeah. that's commonplace. Yeah. And... Um, and- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. You were gonna you were gonna say something, and I was gonna change the topic. I was just gonna say it's a fucking hard thing to do. Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, but so one of the you know a, a lot of athletes who are gonna be listening to this, coaches, athletes, right, doctors, yeah. they're not gonna make the CrossFit Games. Yeah, they're not gonna make regionals. They're not even gonna be top one hundred in their own region. Maybe not yeah. in the county that they live in. Right. So I want if if you don't mind, I would love for you to kind of deliver a roadmap to them that okay. is along the lines of what you're doing with, with an elite athlete. And I know that you guys work with athletes who are not at the most elite level too. So people should know that, that you're not yeah. just somebody out there looking for a guy who can, you know, yeah, strap some games gear on. But so, so it's easy for people who are just looking to get fit, just want to look good naked and live, you know, live a, live a, an easy life in a hard way. Yeah. Um, it's easy for them to just say, I want to go hard every time I go in the gym. But if their goal is to feel good and to look good, what is the advice that you give to them about kind of structuring the way that they go and they do their thing? Oh man. It's a big question. I know. Yeah. It's a big question. I think all of it right now. So I think most regular people that I don't, I don't mean to say regular people as if it's a regular person. It's okay. Okay. Most people who are not trying to be athletes, are inhibited by their ability to dedicate a portion of their day every single day for a long period of time to getting better. And that consistency in the gym is blocked oftentimes by either like very low motivation for doing what you're doing or injury. And it seems like the very common thing in the market is like people getting overuse symptoms in elbows, shoulders, knees, lower back. (laughs) And that then inhibits them from training hard enough to either put on muscle, which is one of their primary goals, do enough metabolic work to um, burn body fat and lean out, which is also what many of them want to do. They stiffen up. And I think I've, I've always said, it seems like we have a culture that's afraid of aging. And one of the things that we commonly want to do to make us not look old is have a lot of muscle, uh, a lean body fat, and then obviously like dying hair and grooming and all that other stuff. But what people don't ever put into that equation is how people move. I think one of the 
the easiest ways to look old is being stiff and not being able to move quickly and having like no bounce in your step. And if, if I think people want to combat that, they really need to think about how their bodies move in space, what their joint quality is like, what the elastic quality of their musculotendon junctions and their actual, like how much neural tension is in muscles to protect them from pains that they have from training. And ironically, I think when people do that, they start to hit PRs in the gym because one of the, like Andrea Ospina is one of like the big movement guys coming up and I remember going to his seminar and he was saying how many people that want to snatch in the current market have the prerequisite range in their ankles, hips, knees, back, and then the, and shoulders and the ability to sequence that appropriately to just get into the bottom position of an overhead squat. And if they don't have that, they're trying to do it fast and get all these technical cues from weightlifting coaches and do all this stuff. And it's like, Hey dude, your body doesn't go there, period. And if it doesn't go there, doesn't matter how many coaches tell you what what you should be doing. You're not going to be able to do it. You need to have the ability to to learn how to move and learn how to unwind some of the tension and learn how to get your body into an unloaded position so that you can load it appropriately. And I think we have leaders in the fitness culture that are like really young and really talented. Um, or who've been kind of, you know, or who are kind of in the academic market. And the academic market, I think, struggles because people want to see it done with a person. They want to see if you say, okay, you know, you need to do this, this, and this. They want to see that you can do it. Otherwise, they don't really listen as well because of just how we understand logical arguments. And most people need to see things to believe them. Or, from an athlete's perspective, we look at them and we're like, yeah, 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 but you're 22 years old and you train full time and you dedicate six hours a day to it and like you're kind of off the genetic bell curve. So it's not really practical to me. So I'm just going to listen to, you know, whatever I want to listen to. And I don't think there's like a, an, a, a discussion out there about like, okay, how do we do this? Like, how do we actually maximize our time to move well, take care of our health so that when we come into the gym, if we do want to go hard, we can. Most people can't go hard because they're, they're too slow, they're too weak, and they're not motivated enough. They can't get themselves excited enough about their intervals to, to go to the place they need to go to to get the benefits of hard training. So they're suffering, but they're not really going intensely. They well, just so, think so, they're going intensely. Yeah, so to jump into what you're saying there, I, I actually made a post a few days ago that, that speaks exactly to what you're saying. Right? It was, cool. if you want to see... What, what we think fitness is through our eyes, right? Look at what elderly people have difficulty doing and try to make sure that you can still do that and do it well, right? Like you don't yeah. see a lot of people who you would envision as old, people who you would classify as that guy looks old, yeah. right? Sprinting. Yeah. You don't, you, you know, I, I don't remember who did the study, but there was a study done once where it was evaluating people's ability to sit down and stand up without using their hands, without swaying, without putting their knees on the ground, their elbows on the ground, or their hands on the ground. Yeah. And it was a very, very good indicator of life expectancy. I saw that. I don't remember who did it, but it, it's to me that's that – how is that not one of the most important things people are going through? And I think one of the reasons is we're all a little bit guilty of this in the media that we put out in this space, which is – how boring would it be to watch 30 minutes of somebody's recovery? Yeah. Right? No one's, yeah. you know, that that's the YouTube video that doesn't have a very high watch through rate. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I know it's it's just unfortunate because I think in every discipline, um, it is the boring work that makes people really good. Like people who ascend to the, the, the highest levels of whatever we want to in society. Let's even just go outside of sports. Like Warren Buffett's investing strategy is one of the richest people in the world is boring. He finds mm-hmm. companies that he thinks are undervalued. He buys them and he waits for them to grow for years and years and years and years and years, which is like, that's <laughs> like okay. Like, it's like, oh, invest your money. And people want to find a tech fund that can, you know, quadruple their money in two weeks. And they, they're basically looking for the, the magic pill. They're looking for the answer and they're looking for something that's, that's sexy to govern their behaviors. But I just don't think the world works like that for for maybe like 99.9% of the people. I think well, maybe there's like one person per generation where like everything that they touch turns to gold and gives them magical progress at a really high level. But most of us are just not like that. Like we got to put the work in. We got to do that boring stuff to have what we want. And I want to talk about the boring stuff, for example, um, because, yeah. because I've heard you speak specifically about this. And I think that the way that you describe it is very interesting. Let's say that I'm the guy and I'm not because I don't take the open seriously enough, but yeah. let's say that I'm the guy who last year didn't do as well as I wanted to do because the wall balls ate me up. Yeah. Right. So I think what most people do in that regard, right? That's my problem. I'm not good at wall balls. Yeah. They're going to spend more time throughout that year doing wall balls, doing heavy wall balls, doing higher wall balls, doing more wall balls. Right. Yeah. But I heard you very wisely and eloquently describe why that's not necessarily the best way to go. And I would love for you to describe for this audience, the concept of, well, what if your wall balls come after a deadlift? What if they come after running? What if they come Uh, after something? Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, the figuring out why the wall balls aren't good is, is, is the first step. And I think you have to figure out how to have some sort of assessment process. So I had, um, Caroline Dardini, Uh, I started coaching her last year. She ended up taking sixth in the Atlantic regional and, um, she's a small girl. So that's a, that's a good score. Yep. She's, she's very short and, um, very small from a body weight perspective relative to the elite and the wall balls chewed her up both at this year's regional and last year's regional before, um, we worked on, well, we, we, before we started working together and we had a bunch of priorities and stuff that we were working on. They've gotten better. We continue to work on it. And now we finished analyzing the regional and I'm like, okay, what happened in the wall balls? Like the previous year, it was a cognitive thing. So it was a floating target. She had never practiced on a floating target. Um, she got a bunch of no reps, she lost concentration. And so we started working on that limitation. So we started working on her ability to compete, stay focused, deal with adversity, go into the gym and train in silence. Some days, change your environment, have a judge, no rep, you move targets. Every time you miss, make sure you add another rep to it so that you're getting used to dealing with that level of chaos. So that was the limiter last year. This year it gets exposed and I'm like, okay, well, what happened? She's like, well, my mind was in the appropriate place, but my arms were blowing up. And from a postural perspective, Caroline's got pretty jacked biceps and um, just really strong upper body from doing all the gymnastics. And she's like, yeah, well, it's not my leg strength. I could squat all day and I can extend my hips, but my arms start to turn into lead. 
So doing wall balls for her, if I just try to accumulate volume and I get to whatever her limiting ceiling is in her upper body's ability to distribute blood and use energy, then I'm not really training that to get any better if I'm just hammering wall balls and wall balls and wall balls all the time. Now, there is a time in the year that I need to increase her volume of wall balls and get her exposed and hope that all of the protocols I use allow her to do more wall balls unbroken. But I need to figure out why she can't get blood into her arms as effectively as she can get it into her legs. And for her, I think is a postural issue. So she's just very forwardly protracted and her arms are basically being held up the entire time versus having the ability to retract her shoulder blades and keep her thoracic spine extended and basically get the center of mass of her arms closer to her midline so she doesn't have to hold up as much mass, which then decreases the the need for her heart to have to pump against as much tension and lowers like the, the stabilizing musculature in your, in your postures, in your posture is designed to hold you up against gravity. If you're not using that effectively, you're using fast twitch fibers and a lot of things that aren't really designed for posture to hold you up, which aren't as efficient at producing energy slowly and stabilizing. And I think in the movement world, it's called a, a high threshold motor strategy to accomplish something that shouldn't be that difficult. Um, so for her, Going after wall balls, she's done thousands and thousands and thousands of wall balls in her past. It would just be like beating a dead horse. So it's it's actually a movement issue that we have to go through with her. Whereas somebody else, if they just blow up and they're like, man, I just like I just need to do wall balls. And I look at them and they have perfect positions, perfect squat mechanics, really good hip extension, really good retraction ability, really good overhead shoulder flexion, really good terminal lockout of their elbows. They might just have to pound volume of wall balls. But we only have a certain amount of contraction volume that we can put on our joints and that we can put on our hearts in our athletic careers. And I've always said, be precise about the stress you impose on your body so that you could do it for longer because most great athletes that we see are great because they've dedicated the most time to the craft. And we all have 24 hours in a day. So the best way to solve that equation is by doing it for more days in your life and having longevity, which is Again, in, it just in the approach. I think what you just said was so deep. Like the, the amount of knowledge that you needed to have to make the point that you just made, I think gets missed, right? <laughs> so I want to make sure that it doesn't. I think that's my job as the host is to make sure that that doesn't get missed, right? Because that, that was, for me, that was really impressive to listen to. You know, my, my world is spent as a doctor looking for only what you just described, yeah. right? And so when I hear it from a coach whose job is to worry about so many different variables, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. And what I mean by that is you talked about Caroline's done wall balls, right? She's yeah. done thrusters, which are similar to a wall ball. So to say, okay, maybe your pacing was off. Let's try different pace. I think that's where most coaches go first is yeah. we need more wall balls or your pace was just off. You came out too hot, right? Or you were tired from the thing you did previously. So we need to come into wall balls more fresh, good, good strategies to fix it. But yeah. I would argue not the best strategies to fix it. You looked at it from a perspective of what is the cascade of movement faults that leads to Caroline working harder on wall balls than she needs to is essentially how you broke it down, right? Yeah. She doesn't, she shouldn't need to put forth that much effort to do a movement that simple. So why does she? And 
And I think that's just, you need to know where the body should be to know when the body's not in the right place, right? You need to know where the vascularity is coming from and what it's doing to know that a forward rounded posture, her head forward and her chest tight at all times with her arms above her heart is going to be problematic. It's not intuitive. That's something that you have to learn. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really, really cool. So the lesson for people out there who are listening to this, who are like, I'm not good at wall balls. And every year in the open, the wall balls screw me up or two years in a row, I did really well on that workout with the handstand pushups, the rowing and the deadlifts and the wall balls, but the deadlifts got me both times. It's like, well, why? Yeah. You know, your deadlift went up by 50 pounds this year and you still got pounded by the 225 deadlift or 255 deadlift, right? Why? Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, yeah, I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a difficult sport because there's just I, there's so many variables, and I think all people pay attention to is the winners. Well, I think and they're like, oh, the the winners are saying, oh, just go harder, just go harder. I all I did this off season was work on my mind, and I'm like, yeah, but that's because all of the other variables that coaches have to think about for everybody else are already in place for that athlete, either circumstantially, genetically, luck, whatever. So they don't have to focus on the same things. The only thing they have to focus on is their emotional approach to competitions because they've already worked on all the other stuff that I just explained. But, you know, Caroline's already done that. She knows how to work hard. She's tough as shit. She's strong. She's enduring. She can run. She's done, you know, well in the open. She like all of that stuff is it's important for a coach to know. But at the highest level, I I don't think at least that we're going to be able to create a separation. Like, let's say, you know, another, another athlete came from another coaching organization and came to me and said, Hey, please help me get better. I don't think it's going to be my ability to like, look at the obvious and say, Hey, you might've strategized it well, or, you know, I got a new protocol where I could make you do wall balls suffering more. I'm going to put you on the assault bike and make you go until you throw up. And then once you throw up, I'm going to make you do AMRAP unbroken wall balls. And then once you fail, I'm going to make you rest for 30 seconds and keep doing it over and over again until you throw up again. And I feel like that's some of the, you know, some of the ways that people are trying to go about getting better at wall balls, just like learning how to suffer yeah. uh, more you- and more and more, which I, I think personally is just like, it's that crazy. Do that. <laughs> right, but, 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 but that's, but that's what's out there because that's the only thing that, again, I think because it's such a new sport, right. And it is, it's 10, 12 years old, whatever it is, but it's, it's yeah. in the beginning, you kind of had the good old boys, yeah, right? Like these are the guys who came up together and great. And now some of that still lasts, right. And some athletes still work with those coaches and are still using those methodologies and they're still successful because they're great athletes. Right. Yeah. So it becomes a a loud cafeteria in which you need to yell louder than everybody else or differently. <laughs> but, yeah. but but you know, we we've had everything from novice athletes to elite athletes come to us and we've told them, listen, you don't really need us to help you. You need to do less. You need to be what you said, more precise with what you do. And they're like, No, 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 no. Like I just need you, I need I need a shoulder rehab program. Yeah. And we're like, okay, you know what? Fine. We'll give you a shoulder rehab program. So we're like, but we need you to send us your program first. So we'll look at their program. Say, I want you to take this out, take this out, take this out, take this out and take this out. I want to talk to your coach to make sure he knows we're not overstepping and saying your coach is stupid or anything like that. And in, in those places, I want you to add this, this, and this. And the stuff that we add is just so much lower volume, lower intensity than what they were previously doing. 
we've essentially deloaded them without them recognizing that they got deloaded and they get better. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not, you said it's not looking at the obvious, but to me, sometimes the stuff that is the most obvious is the stuff that coaches are like, no, it can't be that because we would have seen that already. So let's move on to something more complex. Yeah. Common sense is not so common. They say, no, it's not. (laughs) Um, but so what you said something earlier that I think was another big thing that, and, and you keep doing it to me. So you're, you're making my job of taking notes over here hard, but <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's okay. Something that was um, profound that I think absolutely got missed. And I think that it plays into the way you do everything. And I want you to talk about it. And you were talking about the term that was on your shirt, which was, you know, give more effort, I think. Yeah. And effort, effort is a choice. Effort is a choice. Right. And, that's cool, but it wasn't that that interested me. It was when you said, I don't know, I don't do the apparel, right? <laughs> so, but the reason the reason why that interested me, right, is you own the company, yep. correct? Yep. So what does that mean you don't do the apparel? I know what it means for me, but I want you to explain to other people, why don't you do the apparel? You own the company. And, ha- um, and, and, and how does that, if you can follow where I'm asking you to go, yeah, how does that, I, how does that mindset help you in coaching an athlete? So I, I learned a really long time ago that I can't be good at everything. And that I know it's going to sound almost stupid or narcissistic, but I really thought that I could be and that I could outwork everybody and become an expert in everything and be some sort of a, a renaissance man. Um, and I, and I think CrossFit originally appealed to me because that's what it was saying. It was saying, do everything with your body, be mobile, be explosive, be enduring, be, uh, able to change directions, be able to throw, be able to do gymnastics. And, um, that appealed to me because I thought, well, yeah, fuck, I don't want to be good at one thing. I want to be good at everything. Uh, I realized that that's not the case and that I have a certain subset of skills that's going to make me likely to succeed in my current business infrastructure. Um, I think nine, nine days out of the week, I wear uh, the same Under Armour black shorts, a pair of uh, uh, minimalist sandals that I'm working on my foot strength and a blank TTT shirt that's usually black or gray. Uh, I'm not really that exciting from an apparel perspective and I'm not really into branding and all of the things that go with typical business development. I'm not a marketer. I'm not, I, I, I'm in this because I have a passion for understanding my own body, my own mind, the human body, the human mind. I want to help athletes become as good as they possibly can and not look back at their athletic careers and say, man, what would have been if I had better guidance? I want to create some sort of a platform so that people could be professional coaches. I, growing up, I was a, you know, a pretty good athlete. I got sent to math camp when I was eight years old and, and at John Hopkins and took calc when I was 10. And so everybody told me, hey, dude, you need to go to Wall Street. Like the, the training environment is just for dumb people. You don't need to go there. Like go and you know, make money and, and build a career and, and, and don't mess around with all that stupid stuff that you don't need to be doing. And that really like, that was bad advice for me. I, I love sports and I think it gives to us more than winning and losing. I think it taught me most of my life lessons and helped me understand how to fail and keep working. It taught me how to 
um, investigate how to get better in multiple different ways. It's taught me how to pay attention to details. It taught me the value of community and teams. And, and so I want to give that to other people. I feel like it's the people have almost taken the fun out of sports in current culture. And I, I would like in some way to be able to create an environment through my business to, to fix that. Um, and then I already went into the whole like redefining health thing because I, I see what the fitness community like we it, just from a common sense perspective, we're like the most overtrained and underfed culture that has ever existed, but we're the fattest and most diseased. So like something's wrong. <laughs> we need to fix it. Like and and people that are people that are really smart in science, in engineering, in in all of these fields need to not be turned off by the industry because they can't make as much money there or because they can't have 401ks or because they can't have professional, you know jobs. And I want to fix that. And if I spent all of my time making t-shirts so I could make a couple extra hundred bucks a month, what the fuck would I be doing relative to what my vision and, and the thing that gets me up every day and fires me up. So I entrust that to people that I think are better at it than I am. And instead of trying to compete with them or compete with other organizations that might be better at branding, I just stay in my lane and try to get really good. And it served me really well. If, if I had to have changed in the past to make my business succeed, I would have. But I just keep getting better at what I think I need to get better at. And it has continued to help grow my business and bring me around people that help me support my business and believe in my vision. So why the fuck would I change something that's working? Um, <laughs> I, I, that was, I think that was my favorite answer to any of the questions I've asked you so far. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, it's clear to me that you're a, a really smart, really passionate, um, and really in touch guy, right? Cause there's people who are smart and passionate and totally don't understand how somebody else couldn't be as passionate about what they're passionate about. So they don't drop any respect to those people. And it's clear to me that you're in touch with, with the way that other people think, the way that other people feel and the way that you need to speak with people so that they can um, get behind your passion, if you will. I yeah. think that's I think that's a really impressive group of character traits that you have. Well, I appreciate it, man. That's no a problem. kind thing to say. Oh, it's, it's, it's noticeable. I mean, I'm telling you, I, 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 I don't know if we recorded this in the beginning, but I was talking about watching your videos, right? And I, it's part of my job and I hate doing it. In a part, in, in a way, because it's, I feel like I'm not producing my own when I'm watching other people's stuff, right? Yeah. But I need to know what's out there because when athletes come to me with, Hey, I've been doing this, 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 and this, I need to know what's going on in the world. I need to know what the postural restoration Institute is doing. If I want to work with baseball players, yeah. right? I need to know what Andrea Ospina is doing when people come to me and they're like, well, I've been doing this movement from kin stretch, right? Yeah. So I have to spend time ingesting content not because I want to steal it or use it, but because I need to be able to relate to somebody, right? Yeah. And I haven't found myself as captivated or as interested in anyone's content as I have in yours recently, where I actually say, you know what? Instead of going and watching somebody else who I had lined up, I'm going to watch another one of Max's videos and I'm going to take notes because there's stuff in that that I can talk to the athletes I'm working with or stuff that I can talk to my staff about or stuff that I can learn from myself that is valuable beyond measure that I, I couldn't have gotten without it. So you're doing a good job. I really appreciate it, man. Those, uh, I'm learning how to take in that positive, uh, that positive 
feedback and, uh, and use it to continue motivating me because it is a very difficult thing for me to do to put myself in the, in the public eye. I'm not a, I'm not a big attention guy. And I think in the past I've, I've preferred kind of doing my research and going to as many seminars as I could and sitting in the back and taking notes and just doing my work and working with my athletes. And I know that that character trait was holding my business back. So I've been trying to break it and listen to people that, uh, show me that I must be doing something right. So I really do appreciate it. Yeah. You're worth being on camera. And I can tell you this, if nothing else, you told me that you usually wear a black or a gray shirt, right? (laughs) And today you're wearing red. So if nothing else, you're moving in the right direction. I am. I got a blue car. I uh, try to wear, (laughs) I I try to two days a week, make sure I wear something other than black so that uh, everyone here knows I'm trying to work on myself the same way they are. Perfect. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add? I mean, where can people find you, Max? Because I think they need to. Um, yeah, trainingthinktank.com is our website. We have a blog up there. Um, we sell our courses on there, which we're, um, we're actually in the process of upgrading them and, and making more variation in them so that we can serve different educational markets. But currently, there's five courses up there. There's a a movement course, energy systems, strength and assessment course, and an exercise physiology that covers just base level exercise physiology. Cause I know a lot of, uh, CrossFitters came into the market without a a background in, in academic exercise science. So those are our five courses up there. Uh, we, if you're interested in coaching, I think we have a, we have a 80 person wait list at the moment because, uh, we've filled up and I'm, I'm sourcing new coaches and bringing new coaches on. Um, but if you want to get on the waiting list, info at trainingthinktank.com or jp at trainingthinktank.com. Uh, our Instagram is trainingthinktank. Our YouTube channel is trainingthinktank. We try to, we've been trying to put out a, at least a piece of content per week just to keep people updated on Travis and Noah's trip to the games, on you know just ideas and things that I want to talk about or things that I've had ideas about, or, um, you know, sometimes just jokes to, you know, have some fun and, and put out some fun content. So it's not always my big serious face up there. Um, and I think that's pretty much everywhere you can find us. I will close this out by saying this, right? I think this is another thing to people to take note of. I asked where Max, where can people find you? And you answered with, this is where you can find us. And I think, I think that's, you know, again, it's, it's not, it's, it's the bigger picture thinking that people need to be doing. Yeah. I, uh, you can't really find me anywhere because I'm so <laughs> I don't have an Instagram. I, I, I do have a Facebook account, but it's moderated by somebody else. Uh, when I started realizing that just people I didn't know wanted to be friends with me on Facebook at, at first, like five or six years ago, uh, I was just like, oh, well, that's weird. I was like, I should probably have an account for that just in case I say something offensive or stupid on my on my normal personal one. Uh, so we created two. I have two that I don't even use. I'm barely on social media. I, most of the time I spend on my computer, I'm, I'm trying to learn just like you. I, you know, I, as I'm writing programs out this week, I was watching uh, Ed Cohen in an old powerlifting video, giving powerlifting cues and took the FMS breathing course. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to educate myself the same way. So it's, I try not to spend uh, too much time uh, just messing around on social media. So I, I do really consider us as a, as a 
true testament to what I'm trying to build. It is a it is a think tank for a reason, and I'm just one cog in the wheel. I might be an important cog in the wheel, but I am just like everybody else here. I think you might be the wheel, but, <laughs> but I, 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 I appreciate your time today, Max. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Active Life podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating so that we can grow and reach and help more people. If you're looking for more from me and my team, head to performancecarerx.com. All the help you're looking for is right there. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and the process is the goal.